This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. It is NFL Draft Week. We find ourselves, of course, talking about NFL more and more, even as the NFL is not in season. Uh, we've talked about this before. Way back in August, our first guest on the podcast, of course, was Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports. And we were getting into it with her on how the NFL just has a way of dominating sports media coverage all year round. It's almost like there's no off season. So here we are again. It's the draft, and they have successfully made the draft a bigger and bigger event every year. Uh, this weekend, it's happening in Dallas. And so joining us to talk about all the NFL draft bonanza is Charles Robinson, NFL reporter with Yahoo Sports. Hey, Charles. What's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? Terrific. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Uh, as I said, it's been funny to watch. I mean, uh, let's just use myself as an anecdotal example. I mean, obviously, I, I cover the business of sports, but in terms of my fandom, uh, I'm from Boston. I'm a, I'm a Pats fan. I don't necessarily always know the ins and outs of every single other team in the league. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't always name more than like three or four of the guys on each team, except for the AFC East, really. <laughs> and so I've never been a guy who watches the draft for fun. And so it's kind of been a fascination for me the way that the NFL has successfully made the draft uh, a thing, for, for lack of a better word. It just gets bigger every year. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's designed to be their offseason Super Bowl now. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. if you look at how the NFL has marketed itself, as you said, they've expanded the product so that it is really a 12 month a year or or at the very least an 11 month a year product um the, there's no time off in the nfl except maybe mid-june to mid-july and even then now there are contract extensions at the beginning of july so that's right. even kind of eaten up that space so um but you know the, the draft i think they figured out um over the last really two decades that this was a sellable commodity and like any sellable commodity, the NFL figures out a way to monetize it. And I think those NFL owners, when they sat in that room at some point, they figured we have to have a, a tent pole in the off season. And that tent pole is going to be the draft. We're going to turn that into the super bowl. And it's actually better than the super bowl in, in some fashion, because it takes all 32 teams and incorporates them and I think the one thing about the draft that a lot of people don't always realize, particularly if you're a fan of successful teams, the draft draws in bad teams. It draws in <laughs> right. the Cleveland Browns. It draws in every year that sort of renewal gives an opportunity for fans to tune in and be hopeful again and sort of restart the whole process. And I, you know, I grew up in Michigan and as a kid, I was a, I was a Detroit Lions fan and, you know, the Lions were... I mean, historically, particularly when I grew up, not a very good football team. And and that offseason, you always sort of looked forward to the draft because you thought maybe this is it. Not only is it sort of a, a holiday season where you're like, oh, I'm getting my I'm getting gifts in the offseason. But it sort of gives you that opportunity to um, think about what could change with your with your team. And and I think that's part of the package that they've presented, that this is uh something fresh it's something new and it's and it's sort of that renewed hope that starts in in late april yeah i think that's a good point about teams of lesser i'm sorry fans of lesser teams are the ones who are more engaged obviously because they're thinking this could be our year let's see who we get i mean the way i always consume you know i'm lucky especially over the last decade being a pats fan i just kind of wait and then i see on social media who did we get and then i read up on those players fine but i don't necessarily want to watch the whole thing I do remember passively 
I guess it was probably already three seasons ago, maybe even more, but being in a bar with my friends the night of the draft and the whole focus was when will Johnny Manziel get taken? Right. And he waited and waited and waited, and that was kind of fun, and we were you know, taunting, and of course, now you look back at everything that happened, but that was, that was kind of interesting. I mean, it, that year was sort of more memorable in my mind because there was this one guy and all eyes were on him. Right. I guess every year, arguably, there's always one like that. It, right. Is this year's Baker Mayfield? But I feel like there are a couple, of, you know, there's, there's Josh Rosen and there's Darnold. Yeah, quarterback draft. It really is. And, and that's yeah. the thing. Like, I, I, I'll tell you this. Part of the reason why teams, fans who don't, fans who don't need a quarterback um, are typically not as drawn into the draft as fans who do need a quarterback. Yeah. You know, so as a Patriots fan, you haven't needed a quarterback in a long time. But I can tell you that the large majority of the league, 75% of the league, over the last 10 years, at some point, you've desperately needed, or longer, you've desperately needed a quarterback. And that's, I think if you really broke it down into metrics, I think the fans that really get drawn in, it's typically the fans that they need a quarterback. They want to watch to see, you know, who the next quarterback, I mean, it's been an annual thing for the Browns, um, you know, selecting that next cornerstone quarterback. It's a quarterback league. And so I think you could say it's a quarterback draft. That's usually, um, the biggest drafts are the ones where, the quarterback class is um, it has some drama to it. It has um, some disagreement. And when you talk about historical drafts, everyone always goes back to 83, 83. Everybody talks about 83 because they talk about all the quarterbacks that were selected, all the hall of famers, um, you know, John Elway, Dan Marino, um, just the multitude of guys who came off the board in that draft. And that's sort of the standard bearer. And I think for a large uh, a large reason for that is not just the Hall of Famers, but it, it was a, it was sort of that standard setting quarterback draft that ever since then every quarterback draft has sort of been measured against. Yeah, when we talk about expanding the draft, by the way, I feel like there are sort of two uh, elements here. There's beefing up the TV coverage, right. uh, and I want to get into that. But then, of course, there's holding it in different cities. I mean, even mm. that is a relatively new thing. Uh, let's start with that sort of the, the geographic element here. I mean, it, it usually was just in New York City. It was in mm-hmm. New York City until 2015. I remember actually, uh, I used to be at Fortune Magazine, and our office was in Rockefeller Center, Time Inc., uh, which of course, rest in peace, Time Inc. And you'd walk out of the office, and right across the street was you know the 30 Rock area, and that's where they'd have Radio City Music Hall. Right. And for the draft leading up to it it was just you know like a big resplendent huge sign and decked out and get ready for the draft and i always kind of rolled my eyes and now that has ended because 2015 2016 they bring it to chicago but then arguably and i want to ask you about this because you go in person i imagine 2017 philly that was last year i felt like last year was when it really started being a bigger attraction in terms of going there in person uh, right. And there were some stories. Uh, now, I, I, I know from talking to experts and economists, I'm always skeptical of these economic impact numbers. Yeah, they yeah, tend to just yeah. be way inflated. But here's a story from last year. NFL draft in Philly attracted 250,000 visitors and generated $95 million in local economic <laughs> impact. Uh, I'm skeptical of that number, but still, I, I think it's probably fair to say, you know, it, a lot of people went to Philly just to go visit and and see the draft what is that like how do they get people to to make a sort of sojourn just to come see it well i i mean first and foremost i would say any chamber of commerce that touts an economic impact you can usually uh (laughs) cut that in half i mean it's it's you know historically um the i i know just from dealing with super bowls the economic impact is never quite what they tout it to be but 
you know, what was interesting about the NFL is um, sort of that mindset of realizing that, you know, this this the thing about the Super Bowl that fans have to understand is that that is a real commodity that um, the NFL has used over the year to, years to get stadiums built, um, to get economic um, to get economic uh, incentives out of city out of cities for teams, and right. and I think they realized, wow, having this huge movable event has really been a good tool in our arsenal, and and I think when they realized that on a smaller scale, the NFL draft can be that it can be an off season tool that we can use and, and have cities that want to bid on this. And, and it can essentially set up advantageous situations for us in, in other NFL cities. To me, that that's really when this became interesting, when they decided to move it out of New York and, and let it showcase itself in places like Chicago and Philly. And as you said, I mean, Philly, to me, Philly did it in a way that I don't, I mean, it, it kind of blew your mind. This is sort of the outdoor venue, all the fans that were drawn in it. I think when the NFL moved it to Chicago, they had the spectacle in mind that they really had in their heads didn't really materialize until it then left Chicago and went to Philly. I, th- I think Chicago mm. took it a step forward. It became a week long event. There were all these, um, you know, fan experience. Um, th- there was a lot of the fan experience that you get at the Super Bowl, which you really can't do in New York because New York is so compact, particularly in that downtown district in Manhattan. Yes. Um, you, you know, you took it to Chicago. It expanded uh, quite a bit more. But then when you took it to Philly, it, it legitimately became it reminded me that environment reminded me of every Super Bowl you go to where an entire district essentially is closed down. And it's almost like a week-long music festival. That's almost what the the draft became in Philly. And I think in the NFL's mind, when they saw what happened in Philly, um, owners said, "That's what we want, right there. Bam, that is it. We want the every bid from this for this point forward. Everybody who puts in for the draft, you have to sell us on how you're going to turn this into a real uh, week-long spectacle that's similar to the Super Bowl." So. Hmm. Um, that's that's how you get these bids now. You know, 2019 still not finalized. That that won't happen until May. Um, the spring league, the spring owners meetings, um, or the spring league meetings in May. And you know, right now, so that's Denver, Kansas City, Las Vegas, Nashville, and then sort of Cleveland and Canton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to me, that's sort of uh, what they've come to realize is that you know you you can leverage this into, you know, being as big an event as possible. And and what's interesting to me is I think now down the line, it might not be for another decade, but I think they're starting to look at what the draft has become. And they're starting to wonder if maybe the NFL combine can become the third tier wow. of you have the Super Bowl in season, you have the draft in the off season, and then you sort of have in that third tier, maybe a combine event um, that could become a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say another massive tent pole, but like I said, sort of a third tier tent pole underneath the draft. So they're constantly trying to think of ways to to take what their their biggest commodities are, and as you said, the television commodities, and and figure out how to you know hand those off to fans and cities in a way that that is advantageous to the league long term. Yeah, that's really interesting about applying the Super Bowl model. Uh, to the draft. It's funny, the the combine actually, that makes more sense to me or that sort of fits more because it's so visual uh, right. than the, you know, the draft after a while, after you've seen the top six or ten guys, I just feel like 
you know what's coming. They get called and they stand up and they have the hat. But the combine has you know stuff to watch. I mean, especially when the combine's going on, you see all those clips on Instagram and Twitter. I love yeah. that stuff. So yeah, there's that's drama. A, that's a good prediction. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's real drama. I mean, the NFL, the 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 drama is sort of the green room and. Oddly enough, the NFL drafts, we all remember, it's the uncomfortable moment. You know, it's the Aaron Rodgers falling. It's the, you know, Brady Quinn. It's um, the slide, the Johnny Manziel. And it's often quarterback related. And it's, you know, sort of then focusing in on oddly a negative moment. Um, Those end up being the ones that we remember. And you're right. I mean, that's that's the one aspect, I think, of the draft that they're trying to figure out how can they – stretch the entertainment value a little bit um, further to the audience, particularly on site than they've been able to do now, because like the, the interviews I don't think are really that compelling. Um, you can only see so many guys come, come across the stage and be entertained by that. Um, whereas, as you said, there's a lot of drama, I think in the performance aspect of, of the combine and, and let's be real. The NFL draft's getting a little weird right now. And I think, <laughs> I think it's getting weird in the sense that they're um, they're searching. They're searching for that entertainment value, and they're sort of in a weird space. And so now they're sort of trying things that, you know, the parrot that's that's going to announce a second or a, what a third day pick for the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is that's wonky. It's weird. You know, you're going to have a parrot announce a, a team's pick and. You know, some someone's moment, someone's life changing moment is going to be facilitated through a bird. And it's uh, it's just weird that, you know, that that's some of the places they're going with this. But it also shows they're in some uncharted territory. And I think they're figuring out how to accentuate um, some of the dramatic aspects, particularly as it gets deeper in the draft, because, as you said, you after the first 10 picks, people's eyes start to gloss over unless there's someone out there. But, you know, this year it'll go 10 picks and then we'll sit there and we'll go, OK, where's Lamar Jackson going to go? Right. You know, and, and then once Lamar Jackson comes off the board, eh, then you're you're sort of, OK, well, here's my college team or here's some someone I like. And then, you know, you start to lose a little bit of your audience. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to hear you focus so much on Philly being outdoors and it was such a great venue. And that's when it really went to a new level. Uh, this year is interesting since it's in Arlington. I mean, it's it's not really right in the heart of a major city like they did in, in Chicago or even in New York. I think you make a good point about New York being kind of cramped, but or Philly. I mean, it's it seems like it's more focused around a stadium instead of outdoor city area. I mean, what do you expect from this year? You're going to head over to Dallas or you'll be there, uh, what, on Thursday? So. Yeah, I'll get in on Wednesday. So, I mean, it's going to be huge. I mean, it's that's the thing about, you know, AT&T Stadium. I mean, it's massive. You know, it's the complex itself. The stadium itself is, if you've never been there, it's it's for those who will travel from out of town into town. Um, it was, the I, I believe, the forerunner of all the stadiums we will see going forward. Everyone wants a massive video board. Everyone wants, um, you know, all the bells and whistles and – it's got a hundred thousand seats. I mean, it's, it's an insane complex. And what's interesting to me is that Jerry Jones tried to actually pull off something even crazier than this. He tried to split the event between not only uh, AT&T stadium, but I think he initially when he was uh, planning on having the, the, the draft in Dallas, he wanted half of it at AT&T. And then I think he wanted the other half at the star, uh, their practice facility in Frisco, which is like a full hour North of, of Dallas. And 
I think in Jerry Jones's mind, it was interesting because I, I spoke to someone with the Cowboys and I said, why is Jerry trying to pull that off? And he said, well, look, he's, he's, you know, this, this eventual $10 billion massive um, corporate complex that he has where they practice, it gives him the ability to offer, uh, you know, sort of a cherry to vendors, to people who, who not only would fill that space from a vending standpoint, but then people will also rent in the office park. Like, Hey, you know, we have the draft coming in six months or a year and guess what? You you'll be on site. And part of the, the draft will be here in the backyard of, you know, the space that you're renting. And so right. it's kind of interesting just from a business standpoint to see, especially Jerry Jones, who tries to monetize everything and leverage everything, um, what he tried to do with it. But, you know, Dallas will be more akin to to a Super Bowl event where it's uh, the fan experience very much built around the stadium. Um, you'll see, you know, fans can show up and they'll be able to go through like simulated combine drills and, you know, um, all the vending, the food, you know, photo opportunities. I think they're going to have I know they did it in Philly. I'm guessing they will do it also in Dallas where they'll have a, a you know, a Lombardi trophy where you can take your photo, you know, saw so those typical things. Um, I think fans can expect, but it, it'll be big because it's Jerry Jones and everything Jerry does is big. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's funny. The one thing it's, it's hard to duplicate in Philly, you had things like, you know, the war rooms around the Ben Franklin statue, right? just kind of these, these great cool images. Um, on the TV note, you know, it does seem like every year they're doing more, availability, more telecasting of different parts that in the past wouldn't have been on TV or would only be on, say, NFL Network. Uh, NFL Network and Fox are both showing live coverage of rounds one to three. Uh, ESPN2 is doing supplemental coverage. It's just like total TV blowout. At some point, you start to wonder, I mean, are there enough people out there who want to watch all of this? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I mean, that's they'll... I'll say this for the NFL. They'll take it to the saturation level. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably past that. <laughs> right, right. They will. They'll take it. They'll take it past it, and then they'll figure out what where that saturation level is, what that ceiling is, and then try to figure out if they can adjust that. I think they've done that with the product anyway. I, you know, what was interesting to me was, um, you know, when Mark Cuban, the the Dallas Mavericks owner, a while back, sort of talked about the NFL product becoming piggish you know, and eventually being slaughtered. And then yeah. I think probably sat back and saw the ratings decline and thought, Hey, look, guess what? Didn't I predict this right. a couple of years ago? Vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think part of what Cuban saw is really what particularly myself as a reporter I've understood for a while. There's no stopping. There's no, I think there's a certain aspect of, of sports where if there's a pause in a season, it gives fans the ability to reset, build a little bit of hunger and wonder when, you're going to get back to that product that you love so much. The NFL just never leaves you. So do you really have an opportunity to step away from that product, refresh your mind, you know, and, and just get away from it for a little bit? The NFL has done a good job or a bad job of not letting fans really ever get away from the product, whether it's, you know, you go from the Super Bowl to the combine to uh, organized team activities, free agency, the draft. And then after the draft, there's your final mini camp and some more organized team activities. So, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's, it's nonstop. And I think they've, there's no aspect of the game and then the, the sellable commodities in the league that they haven't taken there. And the draft's a good example of it. You said it though, they're credentialing. I mean, there will be upwards of maybe 2000 credentials issued for this event. And, you know, that's a Super Bowl level 
credentialing. And then when you talk about all the television networks that are going to cover it, the radio networks that are, that are going to cover it, and all the the added sort of bells and whistles that will take place in the days afterward, um, it is total saturation. And, and it's a far more limited market in terms of just sort of the casual or maybe not even casual NFL. You know, that was one thing about the Super Bowl. You and I both know I have people in my family who don't really watch the NFL, but will watch the Super Bowl for, you know, commercials, for the spectacle of it, for the right. ability to have a Super Bowl party. The draft isn't really like that. Yeah, the so draft doesn't a, have that. Yeah, that's hard. Right. In a weird way, they're almost trying to smash more <laughs> into a smaller space and and sort of seeing how it turns out. So I clearly they think they can sell it, and clearly they're making enough TV money off of this, and, and they're enjoying enough leverage moving it around that uh, I, I don't think this is going anywhere. I think it'll continue. And if anything, Philly kind of made it more possible in their minds that, wow, we can really, if we do this right, if we pick the right cities and they have the right mentality and it's the right setup, we can really pull this off in a way that that makes it more than uh, just sort of the overdone process it has been in some years. Yeah, when you talk about oversaturation, it's funny. Uh, just two weeks ago, we had Martellus Bennett in here uh, on this podcast, you know, who just retired. And he was saying the same thing. I, I, I asked him about the ratings dip and, uh, you know, f say what you will about the politics or the kneeling or whatever, or people being turned off. He just said, I think they have to be careful with oversaturating the world with the games. Yeah. Because now you don't get a break to miss it. And I thought that was a, right. a sort of cute and very true way to put it. Like, you never get to miss it. You're never, you know, before there was Thursday night, you would sort of long for football between, uh, what, Tuesday and Saturday. Yeah. And that's, you would gear up for, uh, for Sunday to just sit on the couch all day. But three, three days a week, it's, it's just kind of greedy. But I, you know, even though that became a hot topic this season again because of the ratings decline and people said, well, and then there's Thursday and people hate Thursday, they're not about to peel that back. It's sort of, you know, that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Too that. lucrative. It's too lucrative. Oh, yeah. You know, why, I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just financially, um, they're, they're not going to give that up. It's, it's, it's made them money. And, and even, the the one thing that the NFL always has going for it is that even if ratings roll back, which they obviously did this season, the ratings are so big yeah. that hey, even the the rolled back ratings are particularly nowadays in in the age of sort of this weird space that entertainment's entering in terms of what people can pick and choose. Their ratings are still far and away better than anyone else's, even when they're drawn back a little bit. So Absolutely. yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy environment. And Charles, stick with us. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, I want to get into the marketability of the players. Talk about which of these draft prospects will be the biggest stars. Stay with us. Uh, I want to end on this. When we talk about the draft and we're looking at prospects, I mean, from a sports business perspective, you wonder about sort of marketability and who can be the biggest star once they get to the league. You know, we, we talked about Manziel and how much excitement there was around that, but then obviously that, that fizzled. You know, he really could have been, like, the league's next big star, Peyton Manning, Brady-level star, if he had obviously played, been good, not gotten in trouble, stuck around. Uh, you know, one of the best examples of a huge, huge college star in terms of, you know, there was the autograph, mini scandal, all that. When you look at this year's draft class, I guess, I mean, I know, obviously, there's Baker Mayfield. I mentioned Rosen, and you think of quarterbacks, but... There's some other guys, too, that could come up. Uh, who do you see as maybe the two or three or four biggest potential stars once they're in the league? Well, it always, as you said, I mean, it always kind of orbits around the quarterbacks. And I hate to be, you know, repetitive here, but it, it's the quarterbacks are 
the the face first guys in the league are always the first guys that you can sell. But you know, as we've seen historically, not all quarterbacks have um, the personality right. um, to really you know uh, garner the interest or capture the interest and hold it. Um, not many, I'd know, say. Not many. Yeah, not a lot. That's for sure. I you know it's interesting. You you know you bring that up. We couldn't have known. You know Marty Bennett. Totally. He's a good player. Good player. He's a good player. There's no doubt. But if you look at Marty Bennett statistically and compare him over a, a longer span in the NFL, Antonio Gates dwarfs Marty Bennett in terms of overall production, what he's done, Hall of Fame credentials, all these things. But the truth is, Marty Bennett's just more interesting. And that's it's nothing against Antonio Gates. But when you talk to Marty Bennett, he has outside interests that are, are very um, alluring in some ways. Um his self-confidence, the things he talks about. These are the things that often when guys are coming into the NFL, we don't know um, sort of what their attitudes are or, or what their personality is like. And then that kind of unfolds. Like We could have never known that, I think, personally, about Marty Bennett until he entered the league, matured in the league, and then found his own sense of, of self-confidence. It's also part of why, you know, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett's not just outspoken. He's really entertaining. You know, yep. he's someone in a, in a locker room that you end up gravitating towards. So to me, it, it's it's hard to know yet. Um, Shaquem Griffin, I will say that. Yes. You know, Griffin is a guy that when you're around him, you're just like, wow, you know, I really, I get it. I get yeah. the gravitation. And Even without the inspiring story, although that just makes it. No, absolutely. And, I, and when he was at the uh, Senior Bowl, I talked to a couple executives and they said, uh, man, you know, it was really interesting when you're on the field, and you listen to the position group, God, all those guys, they all gravitate toward that guy. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's missing a hand. It's just his attitude. It's it's sort of his buoyancy when it comes to um, what his personality is. And, and guys will gravitate toward that. So, you know, I think some guys will see it with Griffin, but other guys I think will see it after the draft. And I can just tell you out of this quarterback class, Mayfield is that guy who is just so opinionated, so cocky, so in one way or another, whether it's positive or negative, he's going to evoke a reaction out of people. Honestly, like Sam Darnold, to me, when you put him in that room of quarterbacks, he's he is yet to really find himself, I think, when it comes to how he faces out to the public, what people know about him and how he engages guys. But, you know, OK, Rosen, Josh Rosen extremely thoughtful it can rub you the wrong way it can make you you know like him it can make you not like him but he brings something to the table that um i think is just a little added bonus that you know you're going to get with him in the league so you know it, it was i always thought the most interesting painting of it was when Jameis winston and, and, and marcus mariota came out together and i used to make a i always used to call mariota mariota bot because <laughs> he just seemed so robotic his uh his the way he came off to me at least when i would see him in interviews or when you would speak to him it seemed just far more dry whereas Jameis, particularly when he entered the league he had a lot of negative not a lot of negativity oh, um yeah. he had obviously a, a um you know look there's a rape allegation i mean there were a number of things involving um Jameis winston that were negative and yet i literally at the combine watched him walk in to um, a group of reporters and think this guy is going to get shredded. And by the last, by the end of the interview, it was about 10 minutes, all these reporters are laughing and smiling. And, and I just thought, 
wow, like I get it. This is why everyone talks about Winston the way they do because he goes into rooms, believes he can win every room, and then he goes out and he does it. And I, I think that's why certain guys, you know, regardless of what they bring to the table personally, whether it's red flags or not, um, they have an ability to almost be sort of the Pied Piper in the room and and uh, we'll figure out who those guys are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, I expect it to keep getting bigger and bigger every year until, like you said, people get sick of it and then there's the backlash and then we hem and haw over uh, the ratings for the draft. So <laughs> that'll be fun to watch that cycle unfold. Always, always. It never uh, it never ends. And, you know, it's yeah, look, as much as we complain about it, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And as you and I both know, particularly in the last year, we can always change the channel. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, well, thanks, Charles. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, that was Charles Robinson, NFL reporter with Yahoo Sports, talking about the draft. And, of course, once you've listened to this and gone your way through the draft, watched it, or however you consumed it, of course, I'm always continually interested in how people get their sports content. If you're not watching on television, do you get it all via Snap, Twitter, Instagram? Do you go online? I hope you read us at Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Finance and continue to listen to the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the different platforms, and we'll continue to come out to you every Thursday morning. So thanks for being with us. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.